for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You can feel the excitement all over the country. Tags have been drawn and elk hunters are celebrating another chance to be in the elk woods for another year. And then when the reality sets in, all that excitement turns into a whole plethora of questions and concerns. It's a lot like my old dog chasing that big old Ford down the road. If he ever does catch it, what's he going to do with it then? (laughs) On tonight's show, we're going to talk about the three top elk hunting concerns. Those three areas of questions we're getting from our listeners each week. Finding elk, calling elk, and the knowledge of the hunting area. So don't worry, y'all. Go ahead and just sink those teeth into Johnny Ray's old Ford and hold on tight. Your coaches are in the house and ready to give a hand. Those topics along for their Elk Bros shout outs and some Elk Bros stalking tips. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk, and they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy the show. And for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you from Big Bright Island, Texas tonight. And from Katy, Texas, the one and only Luis Gonzalez. And tonight from Albuquerque, your elk hunting coaches, Joe Gilly and Leroy Chad Chavez. Hey, fellas. Hey, fellas. Hey, guys. How y'all doing? Uh, you know, good. <laughs> we're here in Albuquerque waiting for a baby to be born, man. <laughs> man, that right. is so awesome, Joe. <laughs> Can't wait, buddy. Oh, it's 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 killer. I mean, a new elk bra. 
Nice. Uh, no, wow, there you go, man. <laughs> Broetta. <laughs> so, Broetta. And, and, and also, I got to say, I saw a video today of Chav walking that Unbelievable. blew my mind. Yes, sir. So proud of you, Chav. Unbelievable progress, man. I was so pumped when I saw you walking and turning and all that stuff, man. Heck of a deal. Thank He's going to be whipping my tail end again this year up on the mountain. I guarantee <laughs> you. Amen. We got plenty of days left, so he keeps getting stronger and stronger. We're proud well, of he's, him. He's working. You know, uh, there, there's been days that he works hard, and about every third day, man, it just wipes him out. But uh, he's recovering pretty good. He recovered, took a little bit of a break yesterday, recovered, and was back at it today. So um, just keeps grinding, man. He just keeps grinding. And uh, it's kind of cool because we're here in Albuquerque, and my oldest daughter, Britt, and my son-in-law, Quentin, they drove in three days from Boston just so they could be here. And, uh, you know, it's it's a pretty special time right now for the whole family. So pretty cool. That's so pretty cool. cool. So when are we due? Cool. Any minute? So actually, you know, she was due yesterday. yesterday Ellie yeah. Barbara is going to be her name. She was due yesterday. And uh, so – there's still a family pool on everything, right? Right. <laughs> so, you know, uh, everybody's trying to guess which date it is. If it's, if she is has not um, decided to come into the world herself by next Tuesday, then she'll be induced. So, uh, you know, but like I said, you know, my daughters um, have never been early for anything in their life. <laughs> so, uh you know, they've always been late, and I, I, I figure Ellie's kind of destined for that same thing. But uh, it, it's really exciting, Rick. Way, way cool, man. Awesome. Well, guys, y'all know what time it is. Shout it's out. time shout for the Elk Bros. Shout, shout out. out. Shout if you're new to our show, these are just shout outs to a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week. Yep. And we're going to, man, we had reviews come in, so we're going to knock those out first. Um, uh, big shout out to those grinders giving us those incredible, kind, wonderful reviews man ken sutton from keatesville maryland um fixed blade 75 man i, I like the fixed blade part i, I really <laughs> do uh, i'm a proponent of the fixed blade man out of idaho love to have had your name bro um josh haas out of lancaster pennsylvania robert dewild out of is that white or with y'all um with county white county virginia so either one I, yeah, watch watch him say, "Well, you missed it. It's a third option." Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and Jeff Barlow out of Price, Utah, man, I want to thank all those incredible reviews out there. Awesome. Uh, it, you know, when when you hear some of the things that these people say, and you know, and they just uh, show so much appreciation and say, "Keep it up, guys. You guys are knocking it out of the park." Um, you know, we're past our hundred thousandth download. We've got that. Um, we've got our giveaway uh, that's either concluded by the time this comes out, or it's just getting ready to, con- to conclude. And uh, man, I tell you, and I want to thank all of those people uh, and businesses out there that. Uh, contributed to that, man. I mean, yeah, I, I went and shook some trees and it was amazing. I didn't have to shake very hard, man. Phelps game calls, game changer calls, spectra hunting, where to hunt, main beam addiction, mile high note game calls, Western contours, ultimate predator, eat elk, outdoor edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we also had backcountry rookies. Oh, Chad jumped in right away. He says, I've got some extra calls I want to throw in. I mean, it's just so cool. Oh, 
and the big one base map, man. Everybody just jumping on board to really help us celebrate that 100,000. And, and uh, our, our competition is a little bit different. And like I told all you guys out there, we didn't do this expecting you guys to follow us in any way. In fact, I, I wanted you to pledge not to unless it's something you want to do and you believe in what we're doing. We're not looking uh, for any of this false, uh, falsehoods, man. We want people that want to be a part of this, want to learn this, and, and, and really feel good about what we do. Mm -hmm. and, and that's how, how we work with this. But I do want you to go check out those people that – that uh, these companies that contributed so unselfishly to help us, man, you know, go shake their tree a little bit, tell them, thank you. Look at their products. Nothing's on here. And, and I reached out to people and products that we use and products and stuff that we believe in, man, we had an elk hunting package. When you take a look at the game calls, the ultimate predator decoy, the outdoor edge knife, the base map, uh, app, man, you're ready. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, most of you guys, yeah, already, absolutely. <laughs> you already got your bow and camo, man. You're, you're pretty much getting set up to get out there. So, uh, I just wanted to thank that, and, and now let's go to our shout-outs, man. Chav, I think you're up first. We formerly called West Seneca or Limestone Hill. Our top listening city this week is in Erie County, New York, just south of Buffalo, and was a center of steel manufacturing throughout most of the 20th century. In 1899, all the land along the West Seneca shore of Lake Erie was purchased by a Pennsylvania steel company that gives the city its name. Lackawanna, New York. Lackawanna. Yeah, Lackawanna, man. And, you know, we've had Buffalo mention y'all before, and, and I never mentioned up to that time, but the Jillia family, um, my roots are up there in Buffalo, New York. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. awesome, Joe. Yeah. My dad, and in fact, my, my grandma had moved down to uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia, and my grandpa, he was a cement contractor. Now, I'm not going to go too far on that, an Italian cement contractor. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my grandma, for every child uh, in the family that was born, would go back to the same house in Buffalo to have her kids up there and wow. be with the family. So, uh, yeah, Erie, man, that's a, that's a home of the Julias up there. So I'm going to try this one, Joe, but uh, I know you set me up already. For, uh, for these weird Such a names baby, Luis. Don't be a you baby, know, I man. see how it is. That's all good. Yeah, you know, you're I'm predicting a, I'm failure a... here, man. Let's <laughs> no, jump I'm, on I'm, it. I'm actually, you know, trying to see if I can pronounce this thing. <laughs> Once the campaign ground of the Chippewa Indians and originally known as Lower Saginaw. Attaboy! There you go. Madonna <laughs> was raised in this top listening town by her grandmother, and the Bay City Roller, Rollers, a Scottish band, was named after this city after the band randomly threw a dart at a map that landed right here. And this is, uh, if you don't know by now, it's Bay City, Michigan. Michiganders. Bay City, Michigan. And, and for you guys that don't know, Bay City, if you, you know, Michigan's shaped like a hand. Right. <laughs> and that's going to be right, right about corner. right here, huh? It's straight above Ann Arbor. If you go Ann Arbor, Flint, and then you're going to hit Saginaw, and then right above Saginaw is Bay City. It's right on the Saginaw River. It, it dumps in right there to Lake Huron. I fished both of them. And 
Uh, it's a neat town, man. Really cool spot. See, I, I got to jump on the hand before Gilbert did. See, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 <laughs> he kind of got it right, too. Um, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty impressive, Joe. Hey, I'm a quick learner, man. <laughs> no doubt. Quick study. Well, our next up with uh, San Francisco and Silicon Valley just minutes away, the first people in the area of our next top listening city were called Costonians, I guess. There you go. My world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, welcome to my world. Costonones, right? So literally, uh, coastal means coastal people uh, by the early Spanish explorers and missionaries, named after a Sacramento River steamship. The first sugar beet factory in the United States was located here and called the California Beet Sugar Company in none other than Union City, California. Never heard of it. Yeah, but Joe, it's right outside of Pleasanton, California, and close to Petaluma. They're out of the Bay Area. I lived in Union City and in, on the outskirts in Pleasanton, and my dad ran a steel slitting house when I was 11, 12 years old in really? Union City. Yes, sir. Oh I my lived God. there for oh, about a year. It's been seven. about, what, 50 years ago? Yeah, man. So <laughs> 40 years ago. I got it. I got it. Uh, really, probably about 38. So, yeah, about 38 years ago, I lived there in Can- in California. So we didn't stay long. Still slitting house closed down. We had to move back home with my grandfather. Wow, that's crazy, man. Yeah. That, that's mm-hmm. and and so, Luis, how do you say that um, Costanoans there? I mean, it's early Spanish explorers. I figure you have that knocked out. Costanoans, yeah. but but I I don't think it literally means coastal people, People's. right? Uh, I don't. I think it's probably short for something that kind of over time because it's uh, yeah. I, I don't think I've seen it written that way. Almost a slang, huh? I would think. Yeah. Los Danuans. Different derivative. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Up next, if you ever watched the hit TV series MASH, it was the cross-dressing corporal Klinger that was from our next top listening city. That's because Jamie Farr, who played Klinger, was himself born and raised here. This city's name is also often connected to an expression of surprise that begins with the word, holy. (laughs) The city's name is the Glass City. Uh, the city's nickname is the Glass City, and there's a long history of glass industry here. It is truly the glass capital of the world, Toledo, Ohio. Holy Toledo. Toledo. Holy Toledo. Yeah, man. And, and, and so, guys, man, MASH was my show, man. <laughs> Loved Corporal Klinger, Jamie Farr, Alan Alda, the whole crew. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal, man. Loretta Swit. (laughs) (laughs) Gilbert has one name down, man. (laughs) Uh, That's like I get all these pictures and photos, man. I ask these guys for photos to include on our on our uh, our, on our elk camp. You know, we're looking for certain photos. I get arrows and targets and animals, and then there's a picture that comes out of. Farrah Fawcett. Fawcett. <laughs> that's iconic, bro. I mean, that's straight iconic. It was on pillows and sleeping bags and you name it, man. She so was the bomb. I'm just trying to figure what part of the academy I was going to put, you yeah. know. I saw, I saw the there. picture come through. I was like, okay. And, 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 what are you doing? An H-Town girl. Straight up. Oh, straight really? Out of H-Town. Huh? 
Yes, oh, sir. All right, Grew man. up in Huntwick. <laughs> okay. <Yep. laughs> Dude, man, you had me rolling with that one. <laughs> Last but not least, our next shout-out is a top listener request from one of our grinders, Mr. Scott Baker. Way prior to Scott's living in his hometown, this beautiful area just 20 miles south of Denver was the hunting lands of the Plains Woodland Indians, mostly Arapaho, Cheyenne, and Ute Indians. The old Indian trail that ran next to Cherry Creek in this area near Scott's hometown was utilized by early traders, trappers, frontiersmen, and gold seekers. The trail became known by several names such as Cherokee Trail, the South Branch, of the Smoky Hill Trail, and a branch of the Trapper's Trail. A huge Big Elk Bros shout out to grinder Scott Baker and his hometown of Parker, Colorado. Awesome, man. Colorado's Parker, showing up again. Parker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, it used to be that Gosh, you can remember we used to go through Castle Rock. Castle Rock was mm-hmm. just this little speed trap. I mean, there was like a Burger King or a McDonald's or something there. And and then it was a long time before you got to Denver. Mm-hmm. You get to Castle Rock now, it's nonstop. I mean, once you get mm-hmm. out of Castle Rock, you're in Denver. You're in Denver, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's blown up, man. It's really Big time. Up. Yeah, I mean, that from, from down south of Denver, you know, if you're coming up, from the bottom, say from Trinidad mm-hmm. and you come up, man, it's just, when you're getting closer to Denver, you're probably 60 miles out and you got tons of towns. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. So let's rock and roll. Let's talk elk. I'm ready, brother. All right. So I, I want to tell everybody that um, today's topic really came from, and, and you notice tonight we don't have um, our elk bros mailbox because we were getting a lot of these same questions and they were really about three areas. So what I decided to do is instead of just going through every one of those questions is throw them in a category and see if we can hit these. Now, um, the three areas of questions we were getting from listeners this week, like you, like Gilbert read out, the first one was on finding out, you know, before and during the hunt um, for rifle and archery and finding elk when they're not responding to calls, right? So that, that was the main area of those questions. Then up next was calling elk, and, and a lot of those were about, like, what, when, and why. Uh, and they wanted us to recommend certain calls and was asking about our ph- philosophy on calling, which was interesting because it's another way to say strategy, but at the same time, your philosophy is going to guide your strategies, right? Yeah, and I so, think each each hunter's different too. You know, right? I've hunted with several different guides, and your hunting style's way different. Your calling philosophy is way different than some of the others. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know what I tell people is the way that I do things is the way it works for me. Right. Um, there's going to be some things that don't work for everybody. Uh, so what you do is, is you go out, you learn from everybody. You try to find those things that are kind of commonalities between people or that might work with your type of style. Because I, I guarantee you, man, if, if you are somebody that needs to be on level ground, that uh, really has trouble breathing, you don't want to hunt my style a lot of times, right? But at the, at the same time, <laughs> what Gilbert? Yeah. Oh, Lord, level ground is a beautiful place to hunt. <laughs> Especially if they'll come to you, Joe. Yeah, but at the and, same and time, when it does exist, 
Yeah. <laughs> it's uphill both ways. Yeah. And back. It always is. But at the same time, I would probably say that my style and my philosophy, I mean, you go, you go check out Trent and, and uh, Cody and born and raised and you take a look at Corey and um, you know, the, those guys probably cover way more country, a lot harder than, than what I do, you know? Uh, so um, it's just a little bit different in philosophy. So that's, that's where we're at with that. And then the last area was the knowledge of the hunting area. In other words, what to us expect? They were like, how do you get knowledge of the hunting area? How do I know what to expect? How do I know what I need to know about the area and how do I get info on that? So, um, what we're going to do is this is most likely going to be a two part series. Uh, if it's not all good, man, but, uh, and, yeah. and we're going to go through and talk about this. We're going to get in deep. We're going to start picking it apart, try to answer questions in, in a way that helps everybody. Um, but if, if we don't get into it, man, we'll stop and, and we'll start rocking. Cause here at the end of this, uh, thanks to Derek Amp Baker over in, uh, in Oklahoma, um, you know, he's been emailing that uh, some of the epiphanies, you like that word? I do. Epiphany? Some yes. of the epiphanies <laughs> that he's had since listening to us and actually going up and doing some scouting, actually getting, you know, boots on the ground and, and sneaking up on elk and getting images and having some encounters. It's just so cool to watch his growth. And he was sending some of his thoughts and some of the things that he's learned. And, you know, it's, it's so cool because we forget some of that stuff that, oh, yeah. that we just do naturally. So we're going to do a little short thing at the end here on uh, some elk hunting stalking tips, uh, things that might help other people that uh, I just do naturally. And I think some people have seen, you know, uh, how I do some of those things. So we'll talk about that then. So let's start off with finding elk. And, um, you know, the main thing we're going to talk about is we're going to break it down between rifle and archery. We're going to start with rifle first. And the reason I want to start with rifle first is because a lot of times I miss that point because I'm so archery oriented. I'm so bow oriented. And really, um, I, I think it just brings a whole different dynamic too when, when you're rifle hunting and just the fact of the distance and the style. Because um, if we talk about before the hunt, there's going to be a lot of similarities about how you study before the hunt for rifle hunting as there are with archery, you know, trying to figure out where those sources are. I mean, no matter what, y'all, um, elk have got to drink no matter what. And, and I can tell you that if you are, if you are an, an elk rifle hunter and you're going to hunt elk in October, your chances of hearing them still talking in October are very high. Oh. Um, there's a second and a third estrus that comes in because a cow elk, if she is not bred, if she's not bred the first time, yep. she's going to come in ag again. And if she's not bred that second time, she's going to come in a third estrus. So uh, that can light things up at any time, right? But a friend of ours that was on our show, Dylan Ferreira, that was on our show. You guys remember Dylan? Yes, sir. And, yep. Right? Yeah. So Dylan was hunting elk in October, 
I want to say it was a little bit later. I can't, excuse me, Dylan, if I don't remember the exact dates, but Dylan's style of hunting elk during that October hunt rifle was more like an archery hunter. I mean, it was, I mean, he kind of did the born and raised philosophy. I mean, he was ridge running, screaming bugles, covering country, which is great during September, man, when you've got more of that happening, Mm -hmm. but it can be real hit and miss in October. So there, when you, that's why I want to tell people when you're rifle hunting, that style, that that uh, use of calls can still happen. Man, I'm t- October 1st to October 12th, they are rocking. Those elk are rocking. And, I mean, it, it's, it's almost cheating to me. I mean, because <laughs> you can locate them boogers. You've been there, Gilbert, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. I mean, they bugle all night. You know, they, I, I've been in, it's, it's, in, it's insane. I, I think the most bugling I've ever heard is that first weekend in October. And sure. I mean, it's just, they bugle so much that they actually get hoarse and their bugles sound horrible. You know, oh, wow. uh, you'll hear one go and you're like, <laughs> man, that, was that a bugle? <laughs> but he's, it's been because he's been all night going and going and going and going. Absolutely, man. Yeah. It's cool. I've never, I've other than when we go, I've never, never been in in a different time of the year. It, I think it's yeah. harder to get next to bulls then because there's so many cows coming in estrus, and all of them are just in such a frenzy. You have more eyes on you and stuff like that. But look, it's it's a fantastic time to be in the woods and oh, have and a rifle with you. Oh, oh to have, gosh. absolutely, man. man. Ooh, and, and that's what I'm saying. Slam I mean, dunk. So when you're taking a look at locating elk there, you're going to do a lot of the same stuff as, as what we're going to talk about in the archery. Now, when you start getting, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, glassing, I mean, when it's early, you can listen to them. Yeah. And, and now the hard part is, is making sure you get, find an open area to get a shot. You can't be in yeah. the middle of all that thick stuff. Like we like to be in, in the sure. archery season. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, the other thing is though, is as it gets later and those, mature bulls start to split off now it gets a little bit harder to find them right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you're not going to find an elk because now those satellite bulls are going to jump in and take the place of them and you're going to be able to locate them now if you're looking for a mature bull that's where you need to find those places those those deep canyons where nobody wants to go and like gilbert you guys didn't see it a second ago but for those guys that are rifle hunting, optics are key, man. So if you are if you are digital scouting, looking for um, how you want to locate elk during that rifle season, you want to find the best. And what I recommend to do is go to a 3D part on an app. Base Map now has 3D on it for the iPhone. And I'm not sure if it has it on its app on the computer, but if you don't find it in either um, base map or if you don't find it on X, go to Google Earth, man, and get that 3D view and start looking for those points that you can be on that are looking down, that are those spotting areas that can cover not only one drainage, but can cover two drainages. And what you need to plan on doing, because it's kind of like, remember 
how we used to have to dress when we were going to go stand shoot after, I mean, stand hunt after mm-hmm. hiking way up into the hills. I mean, we had to have a change of clothes, man, because you get all damp getting up there and then you got to have good clothes that are warm while you're there and that are going to keep you warm, mm-hmm. especially if you're in the high Western mountains in October, November, mm-hmm. you better have, you better have uh, clothing good, and good a system, system. Yeah. yeah, to keep you warm while you're sitting exposed up there trying to really glass all day. All right. Yeah. So that's uh, before and during the hunt. So before you're going to find those locations, use that Google Earth to get up there where you can look down. You can see the areas that you're going to look. Mark those out. Get them on your GPS. Get there before daylight. And you want to be up there so that you are there at the golden hours to see those animals. Because now, if you find a bull that is holed up, right? If you find a bull that is holed up in an area because he's trying to recover, he's going to be able to be patterned. He's going to come out. He's going to drink. He's going to feed a little bit. He's not going to get far from his security. And he's going to go back into it. So you'll be able to find that bull again, right? Or if you find a bull with a group, you find where they bed down and you know they're going to come out pretty much the same area unless they get boogered. And that's something that can happen as well. Okay. Yeah. You know, I I found in that time of year that I've hunted is glass work is big, but they're all very vocal. So um, for, for us, it was about getting above them and glassing them and then understanding where they were going to be early in the mornings because they come down right and they feed right. in the in sure. the parks uh, mm-hmm. so we like to hunt those big parks mm-hmm. um, because we can shoot across them with a rifle um, right. or a loader or whatever you're shooting but it's important to know where their travel corridors to and from those parks are so in in the mornings you know as soon as those thermals turn they're going to start going back up uh, unless there's a ton of snow then they'll stay down Right. So, uh, or they'll be on those Southern exposures, those Southwest Southern exposed slopes. But, Mm -hmm. um, when you can pattern them and watch their travel movements, uh, if, if a bull is not still herding cows and everything, he's pretty predictable. Um, so, but if he's got cows, it won't matter. You can just go get on him. You know, if you can get within three to 500 yards, go make you move. You're going to have to, you know, make sure you got the wind right and, uh, make sure that you are trying to stay out of the way of those I, you know, many, many eyeballs, but, um, it is a time that rifle hunters, I think can kill a good bull. Uh, if they understand where those elk are coming down and going back up to, right. uh, cause they'll come down in the evenings as well, you know, to come out there and, and feed. So, and, and remember here, here's something that in, and we're going to talk about this in the archery as well is it is not the bull that determines what happens man that bull uh it's that lead cow and that lead cow is going to put them on the best feed it's going to put them in the best place for water and going to put them up there in the best cover that is makes that feed available so you know you can pattern them especially the later it gets as long as they're not being bumped or boogered man so uh and the other thing is is when you're thinking about places um, to hunt, to find elk, guys, 
I believe this in archery and really believe it in rifle because it opens up the shooting for you is those three to four year old burns or other breaks in the timber. Like, you know, you go to Washington and Oregon where they have those big timber cuts and stuff like that. You know, anything that, that changes that, that break in the canopy are great places to be able to find animals because they're going to be going to those places to get their best feed. Right. So, yeah, and, and on the map, you you'll see these higher parts in the topo where those where those lines are a lot closer together, Joe, on your map. So oh, you'll yeah. see that's a real high ridge. Yeah. So you look for that, and then you look for a park below it, and those 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 critters will come out of that top country, and they'll they'll slide down into them parks in the morning time, and then of course in the evening time, and they like to they like to herd them cows up in the, those parks at that time of year because they can feed and still do what they want to do. You brought up something that I want to warn people about, and that's those topo lines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because uh, when you look at those topo lines uh, and you go to the actual place, sometimes you can look at that and you can look at those topos and it looks like, oh, okay, here's a good place that, you know, the line's a little bit further apart, so that ought to be pretty good. Let me tell you what, man, unless you have um, really uh, – satellite view, yeah. Uh, well, and unless you have topo lines that are to so many degrees, man, uh, and, and so many feet, that gets real deceiving. I tried going turkey hunting, and I looked for a way to enter into some backcountry just here in the past turkey season. And I looked on that thing, and I looked, oh, here's a nice place to get up through – this steep area, right? I started up that mug, and let me tell you what it was. It was <laughs> a steeper, freak, yeah. a steeper straight inside. wall. Oh my gosh, <laughs> man! I mean, uh, so the country is a lot bigger and a lot steeper than what you see on, on let's say, Onyx or a lot of these apps that will show. So, the if you can find the app that has. Um, more topo lines, so many uh, in between the you know each each amount of feet. That's going to really show those benches that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's still some guys out there that grab paper maps that are are so you know so detailed to look at an area just to be able to find those. And then once you do, you can put that you can drop those marks on your on your uh, on your GPS, on your phone. But that's yeah. just something to think about, man. I want to warn you guys. And I, I would tell people, the, I think one of the biggest mistakes, and, and this goes down to what we're going to talk about later on, on the end of this, is, is the country is a lot bigger and a lot steeper sometimes than you think, man. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, let's go to archery. Let's talk about before the hunt. You know, how do you find out, <coughs> excuse me, before the hunt? What do you think we're looking for? Definitely looking for those areas where, you know, they're going to be moving up and down where cows are going to be feeding. I mean, you know, those water. are the, and yeah, you want to look for maybe water sources, wallows, you know, burn areas again, cause that's going to be right. real good food sources for them, Joe. Yeah. Uh, and, and then the transition areas where you can actually get in between them and in those thicker cover areas so you can get a shot that's closer. You know, you don't want to hunt them in the parks because it's, I don't know if you guys have ever done it. I've been a, a privy to a bunch of park calling things and man, they can really blow up on you real quick. You know, I'd rather Absolutely. be in thicker stuff. 
Well, right. and, and that goes back to the rifle hunting. It's two different things. And the rifle hunters, we want to find them in those open parks yep. to be able to get the shot we want. Yeah. For us archery hunters, we want to get them in the thick trees. So the um, it, yep. if you see an animal out in that park and you start calling to them, that's mistake number one. Because <laughs> as soon as you're on there and and, uh, and you are calling or challenging at that animal, yep. they're expecting to see you, man. So you've yep. just made a big mistake. Uh, also, also that kind of goes along. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't that kind of go along also with this with the time of the year too? I mean, with with rifle, I guess that time of the year is more prone for uh, them to be a bit more in the open and those transition areas. But maybe early archery season more into the timber areas and less mm. in the open areas. Or how does that is is there any uh, correlation there? yes and no because as your day is longer um you got to remember during that archery season you know those guys will spend 80 percent of their time in their beds right mm -hmm. but uh as the days get shorter uh they need they need to eat they're getting ready for winter and they got to eat man and, and a rut yeah they're ready for that big push their, their their priorities have changed their priorities have changed from breeding to eating right mm -hmm. And, and recovery, man. I mean, those bulls, I've seen bulls, those late season bulls, and most, most states don't have a hunt in that December. And probably good thing because there'd be a lot of bulls that would go down at that time because those late season bulls are in such bad shape. Really they'll be good. exposed uh, so much because they have to eat, man. Yeah. And now they're bachelored up, and so it's a lot easier to find groups than it is individuals, and it really makes them susceptible. Yeah, I think That's, for me, Joe, you know, early on in the archery hunt, it's about finding the food for the cows. But and it's about, I'm kind of talking about, about digital cows. hunt, you know, digital scouting for guys. Now, we're going to talk about on-the-ground scouting here in a minute, but for digital scouting, you know, if guys are really trying to locate where the elk is, you, you said it, you mm -hmm. know, um, yeah. we've got to find food, Transition areas, yeah. water, and, and that cover, right? And a cover, mm -hmm. yeah. You get yeah. it. So if, if you're able to look, and, and that's one thing that, uh, uh, you know, I've been, I've been working with base map for the last few months. Um, and one thing that I look is they, they have layers that show you, where the water is or how the water's flowing. And, and then it's got a real detailed view where you can go in and find some of this water there. Now, how do you isolate? Well, man, if you're finding cover and you're finding good feed, like you said, a burn area right there, and it has some uh, real thick cover in the area and it has a water source, now you're able to kind of, uh, you know, mark off that area as a zone that you want to check out. Let that be, you know, plan A. Go see mm -hmm. if you can find, I call it the trifecta, right? If you can find those three things uh, in an area and they, and if they're within a mile of each other, man, you're really cooking good, man. Yeah. So uh, if, if I was doing that scouting from there, I would be looking for those north northeast thick timber and again i jump on google earth and you can spin around and look at these hills yeah you know and yeah, you can see what looks like oak brush and what looks like black timber too yeah absolutely man that oak brush hole if they got acorns and you had a good wet year man there's gonna be a lot of elk around them deer yeah. everything else 
And so by doing that, that gives you a starting point, right? Um, there's other things that you can do before the hunt. You can talk to game biologists. You can uh, reach out to other people that have been in those areas. Uh, you can actually reach out to find out um, if there's any local farmers or ranchers that have had to have animals hunted because they're being destructive on their property, you know? Uh, and that, that's one thing that you can do too. You can call game and fish and you can, what's the name of that tag that, that they, that they sell? The depredation. Depredation tag. Yeah. The depredation, depredation tags, right? Tag. And, and you call game and fish and you say, what are some, in this particular unit, what are some of the um, areas in this unit have the largest depredation problem, right? No. Cause that tells you something right there, mm -hmm. you know? So th that's just a little nugget to throw that out there. You know, uh, you know, don't tell them that, uh, you know, I'm looking to make it easy. I want to find out what's going to be an area that most people don't go. That's maybe be able to help out with some of the depredation issues with my tag that I drawn, you know, so just have those conversations. All right. Um, on the ground scouting, you know, I see a lot of this. How many trail cams do we own, Chow? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know you guys use them quite a bit, oh, your trail cams, right? Dude, um, yeah. uh, they're uh, with y'all style of hunting there in, in South Texas. Mm -hmm. But there are so many people that, that I see trail cam photos throughout. And I love the pictures, man. You get to see mm -hmm. these bull elk and velvet and all that stuff. They're, they're great. But personally – we have never owned one because I'm not interested in where the bulls are anyway. I'm interested in where they're going to be. Now, if I got a trail cam someplace to show me where the cows are herded and moving back and forth, that's going to show me more information. Plus, I, I would rather instead of spending time going into a location and back or several locations and back and just seeing that location, I would rather put boots on the ground and go through other areas and really get to know those other areas real intimately. So mm -hmm. um, I, I've never been a trail cam guy. I've always been a, a an eyes, nose, and and uh, an ear guy, you know. I want to go out there. I want to see where the rubs are from last year. Um, I want to find where the food sources are. I want to I cover dirt trails or dirt roads or pond areas and see actual track. What are th some of the things when, when you go out that you're looking for? Yeah, I think, well, like, like you mentioned before, uh, you see a lot of rubs in an area, you know, that they like to frequent that. And that's going to be frequented um, right prior to the, the rut or during the rut. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then if, you know, if you look and see that there's dark timber close by, you know, a bedding area, you know, that, that adds another thumbs up. And of course, the tracks. You know, anytime you come to a little uh, uh, pool of water, even in the middle of a dirt road or a two-track road, right? Uh, you know, check that out. You know, there seems like there's always track there. But uh, you know, that food source is real important. And, you know, and the type of tracks that we're looking for aren't necessarily those big no. tracks, right? <laughs> no, because uh, as long as, <laughs> as there's cows in the area, the bulls will be around. Right. So More we're looking. Yeah, we're looking for those cow-calf tracks, man. Um, and if you can actually get out there and get eyes out there where you're watching and start seeing how the, the cow herd movements, 
where they like to come out of, the areas they like to move across, um, some of their favorite paths that they mm -hmm. use. Because like Chad was saying, those rub areas, bulls like to rut their cows in the same area year after year. And a, a lot of that has to do with because cows want to be where the best feed is year after year, right? Yeah. And so, uh, again, man, we like to think us fellas kind of rule the roost, but it's still cows, yeah. man. Oh, yeah. Mm, that meat cow, especially. I, I think if you're hunting a piece of property and you've got some wallows and some watering holes and stuff like that, I think trail cameras can help you pattern what times of day they may be coming in, the cows or the bulls. So uh, I think they're a definite tool. And not only that, they're a management tool. So you can see exactly what kind of bulls you have in your herd. Uh, if you're running a management program or something like that. I mean, Joe, you got up on arguably one of the awesome, most awesome ranches in the world there in Vermejo. And, you know, I'm sure they have a management program like many of these other elk ranches do. But, you know, Gilbert, uh, here's what I have found to be true about that, man. And, and yes, they do have a lot of trail camps. Have never killed a bull that I've seen on a trail camp. Mm -hmm. Never. It, because what ends up happening most of the time is those bulls are rotating, man. They're, they're, they're moving, trying to go find them a cow yeah. and they're going to a different area. Um, you know, those, those cows are going to uh, be at one area and then another one. Now, uh, we know for a fact, like um, uh, on uh, Carl's place, you know, it, you could find out that, well, heck yeah, man, those cows are coming to water at two o'clock in the day, right? Yeah. You know, they're already moving. Or you know that bulls are hitting certain wallers, but it was hard. It's not that you were killing the same bull that you saw there. Like you would see a bull in this one area and you'd end up killing that bull six miles away. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, There's only one I've ever seen on camera that ever, that, that we ever killed. Only one. Really? Huh? The first bull I killed. Oh, really? He was yeah. on the iron gate. He was up uh -huh. there on the, on that camera. And you know, I, I can see that occurring just because that's a, that's a travel corridor. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So I can definitely see that happening. I think you have a better opportunity really of catching certain animals in those travel corridors. And guys, here's what I mean by travel corridor. Travel corridor is those areas between the feed and between the bed. Yeah. And uh, a lot of times they'll try to pick certain ways to move through that are either going to be a fast way up, a safe way up, or a place that they can kind of, depending on the day, munch on their way up, right? That's right. So picking up some extra grass or, or feed here and there as they're moving up. So you know, you know what was funny though, Joe, is he never he never checked that camera, not till maybe six weeks after I killed that bull. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. So he sent me that after he sent me that after the the muzzle loader season and he goes uh, you know, he called me on the phone. He's like, hey, boy, I've got something. I'm sending it to you via email. He thought he was slick because he could email somebody. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so he sent that was me. Huge for Carl, man. <laughs> yeah, man, big time. So uh, I said, go ahead, son, send it to me. So uh, he sent me this picture. He said, what do you think that is? <laughs> so and he goes, that's your bull right there. You know, he said, I can't believe I got him on camera. And he was like, I want to say like eight days before we killed him, you uh -huh. know, but he had him on camera, but I didn't get that picture till six weeks after the, you know, it was almost right. first part of November. That is right. too cool. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, he, he, 
you know, Carl had them out, but it, not like he checked them all the time. Right. I think he forgot about that camera up there personally. So, <laughs> uh, and when he went to go get, when he went to go get some of his stuff up there, I think he remembered it and, uh, and he got it, you know? Well, and, and I, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, it's like it's on that cuttyback camera. That's got the, the image of that mountain lion chasing it. Oh, that's, Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. That's, that's a way cool good. picture. Yeah. yeah. That is a cool picture. Yeah. Now, all I was going to say is that we do, to your point, different different hunting, different altogether. But I love them them pictures of the <laughs> oinkers, man. I just uh, I love watching them come in. I get the veto lackis just by watching the pictures and get all excited. So I love to have my my cameras out there just for the for the day. And don't get me wrong, man. I I love the pictures that other guys get on uh, their cameras. And right on our ranch, some of the great pictures you know that I guide on that they get, but. When it comes to me utilizing both my money and my time resource for my yes. hunt, yeah. um, it's so not it's not a road I go down, man. It's, right. Uh, yeah. What I do like, like I said, though, is, man, I want to get boots on the ground. And I tell you what I'm looking for more than anything. I'm looking for current water sources because year to year, all of a sudden, wallows disappear or wallows appear, right? Mm-hmm. Or what I'm looking for is um, – if, if there's a, a, a grazing lease on an area and it's been overgrazed by cattle, yep. uh, people, cattle and elk compete. Every day. Yeah, they compete. Yeah. So if it's been overgrazed, uh, it's not something that an area that I'm going to put a lot of time in because, number one, it doesn't have the grass. If I find an area with acorns, that is really good, then, then I want to mark where that is. If there's juniper, juniper berries, if there's pinon pine, you know, uh, those are the areas. We go out, man, and, and we just cover ground as much as possible and survey different parts of the hunt unit and mm-hmm. really take a look at where the thickest, best grass is that has water sources near it, that has those north-facing areas with a lot of good cover, that these animals are either going to stay in or they're going to rotate through. But, but Joe, have you have you seen them actually shift areas and within a ten day hunt as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah totally. So, I mean, totally. You know, to to, to your point, I mean, it's so dynamic for them that you know. Well, you got to data it, may not be a good data. Well, it, it is good data, man, because you have an idea. Like if you're not, if you have a hunt area and you're looking and they're not in a and they're not in B, they could be in C, right? Because you know that they have all the sources to be there. And the reason that that sometimes they're not in an area is because it's public land, and they might have got bumped, and they've gone to another one. And and elk don't eat themselves out of house and home, man. So what they do is they'll be in one area, and they work. They do a rotation, man, and they'll go to another and okay, it might be three days. It might be four or five days before they get back. You, do you remember the the one hunt? Um, Most of them feed into the wind too. You know, they they want that wind in front of them. So it's it's you know you'll even see cows do that. They'll feed oh. most likely into the wind, right? Yeah, and because they want to know what's coming. You know, yeah. And, you can uh, find them moved into a totally mm-hmm. different area because they ended up going into the wind that way, yep. right? Yep. Yeah, and. You remember the last day bull, Larry Gills, that we had, and we hunted that area for, I don't know, it was seven, eight days, man. Yeah. 
dry as a doggone yeah. bone, man. I mean, hunted and hunted. Now we did go try some other areas, uh, and we came back to that area about seven days later that had been nothing in it. And the last evening of the hunt, we go in there and it was going berserk because it filled up like Luis is talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. And we figured it to be an area in the first place that it would have been full because it had everything for them, but it took seven, eight days for it to fill up. Yeah. I think like, uh, like Luis mentioned and you, uh, they do travel, you know, according to the wind. Mm-hmm. But, I, but you know, I feel like they have uh, special places where their favorite food is at, you know, like the acorn. Yeah. You know, as soon as they can get back to it, if the, wind's, uh, if the wind allows, they're going to go right back to it. And another uh, food source, do you remember the anise? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Anytime there's anise, we always run into elk. So and, it's a it's a small plant that's right. anise smells like a licorice. Yeah, they like too. licorice. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we'd always find yeah, all, there. Yeah, for some reason, all the time, there's always elk. And it's just a little plant, you know, it doesn't grow very, very tall at all. Yeah. Well, and I tell you, for me, finding droppings in where they've urinated recently is a big deal. I mean, when you're finding that, you know they're there. Totally. Yeah. You, you guys are doing your, your, your boots on the ground into the wind and you smell them turn into that wind and get after it because they're close by. Yeah. If you smell them, man, they're not far from you. That licorice smell, some mm-hmm. some reason they want to be around that stuff well, a lot. And I'll tell you guys, early on in the summer when or, or in that uh, August and stuff, when you are smelling that licorice smell, a lot of times that's cow elk too. Yeah, They no doubt. have that licorice smell. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. So – uh, and Gilbert, you're exactly right, man. If you're seeing, and guys, understand what what those droppings look like, man, and and what a fresh one looks like, because you'll mm-hmm. see you'll see some that people go, oh, there's droppings, and 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 they're dark and and they're a little dry. cracked and dry. And now, when you can put your foot on it and it smears Jeez. just like like paint that you would squeeze out of a tube, mm-hmm. man, I mean, you're on fresh, fresh right there. And yep. and uh, we like to go and. If you smell elk in in an area where you're seeing droppings, most likely it's urine on the ground right there, yep. and you can catch that. So if you're if you're finding that man, you're finding where the animals are. You <laughs> mark that down on your what? Yeah, what are you laughing at? There's an idea there, Joe. I mean, you got to do a pop a podcast in poop identification. Hey, <laughs> let, let me tell you what. Crap man. happens. <laughs> you know. Uh, oh. One time I found some elk droppings on the ground, man, and, and I could have sworn it was elk dropping. And I, I looked at it, and I, I kind of smeared it around a little bit. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if that's elk dropping. So I took it, and I, I put it in my nose just a little bit, <laughs> got a good whiff of it, man. And I was like, oh. God, I don't know if that's an elk dropping, man. And, and so I, I took it, and I took a taste of it, bud, just oh. like that. Oh, no, I man. was like, you know what? It's that, not elk dropping. It's a good <laughs> thing I didn't step in that. So. <laughs> I don't recommend any of that to our listeners. You know, Joe just pulling you. Don't try this at home. Yeah, don't, don't try this. So the other thing I want to tell people, too, is just to remember when you're putting boots on the ground, man, if you have a wet, wet year, understand those animals are going to be spread out. Okay. Yeah, you have to cover if some you, ground. Yeah. If you have a dry year, man. Find the water, yeah, W-A-T-E-R, all right? Buddy. 
because they're going to be concentrated. They're going to concentrate on the best food and the best water. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm harking back to Chav and I's encounter up way up high on a ridge. And uh, we, we hiked up there. It was a long way to hike up there. And uh, we, we heard one bugle. So, oh. again, guys, you know, we were hunting down below in a really pretty park. Uh, had some had some bulls, some young bulls and cows that were down there. We kept bumping. And then we decided to turn into the wind and go to the top. And, uh, you know, we heard a bull up there. So you guys keep your ears on at that time of the year in the archery. Uh, when you hear something, go. And, I mean, we – it took us a long time to get up there because he was having to drag my fat butt with him. But, I mean, he'd have made it up there in no time. But we got up there and got set, and I made one little one little whistle on a cow call, and, man, I'm telling you, the woods erupted. And we would have never known that herd would have been there if we'd have never crawled to the very top of that ridge and uh, let out a little cow call. And I'm telling you, the, the woods turned electric with elk. Right. And, uh, and we'd have never known that if we'd have stayed down at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. You know? For sure. So now let's let's change over. Let's change over. That was before the hunt, right? Let's talk mm-hmm. about during the hunt. Now, when we go back to to rifle, it's pretty much um, what we've already talked about with the glassing and the different areas and and trying to you know hear one up. Uh, it, man, you let your optics do the job for you. But when you get to the archery, and most of the questions we've been getting these last few weeks have been archery hunters like, how, all right, I've picked my area, I've set up camp, how do I go about finding the elk, man? So, uh, and, and some people, their thing is, is, is like, it's on finding the elk and calling elk. Well, let me tell you, during archery season, I use calling to find elk. Yeah. All right. I use my calling to find out. Now, here's the difference, though. Most people equate that using your calling as getting a verbal response from another. Because we, we know why this is their question. In order to kill an elk, you got to find them, right? That's okay? exactly right. And everybody says, elk are where you find them. That doesn't help us out at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, right? Uh, fish or you know, where you catch them, I guess. Right. Yes. So uh, there's a reason why they're there. Not absolutely. Yes. So, so this is what we need to talk about right here. What's the reason? How do you find that? Right now? The problem is, is what, like we've already stated, a lot of these animals are moving so much, but you can simplify that because they're going to be down in bottoms in the morning. They're going to be up uh, on the upper ridges in the afternoon and it's going to be in corridors in between. So you're not going to spend your time at the top of the hill looking for elk in first thing in the morning. You're going, to, you're going to try to call them up from the bottom. And then the afternoons, you want to be up there high working them because you can find them up there and in those corridors. Mm-hmm. But I use calling to find elk. Now, either that animal, when I call, is going to respond back, and we'll talk about what we're using when we call, when we get to that next portion here, but they're either going to call and respond back, but them being verbal is not the only responses that you can get. That's right. All right. And Luis is, uh, he knows this for a fact. The very first time, and Chav, I mean, take a look at our first season hunts when we go out. How many times, guys, 
Chav, Luis, how many times when we go out first there do we actually get a response, but yet a, a verbal response? But do we have elk that show up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of times they just sneak up on you. Yep. And you just Speaking catch the tail end or the antlers just running away from you. I, I think the very first time we went with Luis, uh, we were we sat down and, and he started calling and and he spotted an elk right off the bat, you know, and, you know, I didn't see anything and I, I'm not sure where you were positioned if you saw anything, but he, had, he saw an elk right away, but it was silent as coming up and didn't make a, a single noise. Didn't make a noise uh, running away either, but, you know, they're around. So, Luis, what was our, what was our technique? What responses were we getting the first time you and Tucker went with me? Like Chav just mentioned, they were coming in silently. That's uh, a response. Most, most of most of the time. Right. So because of that first year, now every time I'm out there, I kind of have to remind myself to like turn around and 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 look back and look all other directions because they they will come in so quietly that you won't even know that they're super close to you. That time that we were that Chav is talking about. I remember seeing this elk and he, um, you guys didn't see it because it was a little bit of a, uh, elevated area where we were at and he w- the elk was coming from the, the bottom and we were set up in a triangle position and you were behind us. Chav was parallel to me and I was like, I didn't, I didn't know how to make signals or sounds for, to ask you to keep on calling because obviously he was responding to the call, but not making any sounds while doing it so right. uh and then yeah with tucker we had there were several opportunities in which they they came in quietly i remember one time we were close to a ridge as well and we were looking down the ridge and then tucker turned around and we had one right behind us and it got spooked it spooked and it ran away right. so i mean yeah they, tons of times countless mm-hmm. of times that i you know we've been under those situations for sure. So to, so okay. to find those elk, guys, uh, to find those elk was using calls but doing it differently. If they're not verbally responding where you can now go to them and cut the distance, you got to understand they're going to come. They're still responding and coming to you. But instead of you cutting the distance, which is cutting the time, they're going to come in their time. So our job was we're moving, we're talking, and I would instruct the guys, I'll look forward. Each one of you looks to each side. We've got it covered. We're going to move slow, and we're going to look for a response. We're going to look to see if we can catch an animal responding and coming into us. That's how we would find them. Or uh, I would move through, and I would do some cow calling, and I look, and I see cows moving through, man. You know, I have found elk. I didn't find them because they screamed, but they were actually moving towards where I was because of the way I was verbalizing. And I gave that enough time for that to happen. I wasn't sitting being still. You don't have to. There's other ways you can create. And we'll talk more about that on the call. Now, another way uh, is like Gilbert said, man, you know, you take a look during that rifle hunt and those guys, uh, yeah, bulls screaming all night long, you know? I mean, if I really wanted to be on elk on daytime, man, I, I pretty much myself, 
if I was in a situation where I would be on them and I want to make sure I was there, well, I wouldn't lose them. I'd stay with them pretty much yeah. all night. I've, I've done that. Or put them to bed someplace, just like you do a turkey. Make sure you're there two hours before daylight so you can pick them up again. If the wind is coming from strong out of the west and they were more towards the east side of it, count on them being on the west side if they did any moving during the night because they're going to move with the wind in their nose. So, uh, that's something for you to think about. Night calling is huge because uh, you can you can recognize where those guys are. And the yeah, other and thing you'll is, you'll know too if a, a bull answers you on an upper ridge. You know that's a hunter. It's not a bull because they're going to be down in the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, it'll tell you right away. Or if sure. you're up on the top and you hear one, if you can way down in the bottom, you know that's not a hunter, man. Exactly. Going to be an elk. They're already going to yep. be in camp. And we do the same thing. When we are hunting, we are just not covering country and and have our whole focus on an animal calling back to us. That's not mm-hmm. our whole focus. As soon as it gets enough light, man, we are checking trails. We're checking mm-hmm. mud. We're checking the dirt. We're checking uh, all those water holes. We're looking for track. And I can tell you, if I find new track moving onto a trail and it's in the morning, and I know it going up on the trail, I'll get on that trail and I'll follow it, yep. you know? Yeah. And, and you, you know, to talk about the rifle hunter too, I've seen it where they come in silent as well at that first part of that muzzleloader rifle season, that those bulls, some, sometimes they just shut up and they don't say much, but I have had them come in strong and not say a word, you know? Uh, now they're not giant bulls, but most of them are those satellite bulls, you know, the right. younger ones and stuff like that, but they will just flat run up on you. You know, yep. uh, I've been with Tucker and with Carl several times. We were muzzleloader hunting and, you know, I, I just finished a call set and then all of a sudden I hear something just roar in from behind us and it's a bull, but he ain't said a word, never bugled, never mewed, never a uh, bow called, none of that. I mean, he, he just come right in there on us, you know? I've seen it several, several times. And so even ch- this year, Chav and myself and Brendan, we, you know, I had a little call set going on. We're all looking into the wind and all of a sudden <laughs> Brendan turns around behind us. This bull actually come from downwind side of us and came within 40 yards of us. And we never knew he was there because nobody was looking back there. But when <laughs> yeah. Brendan turned around, there's a five by five, big old five by five standing there looking at us like, yeah. you know, we're three uh, pelicans. What you doing? What the hell are y'all doing? You know? So uh, we learned something there. You know, we were like, okay, we're going to have to have somebody cover our six while we're doing this too. Because, I mean, he, he just slipped in there on us. Uh, come out of that black timber and uh, he slipped in there on us and you know no doubt if somebody just saw him we'd have probably got a shot. So Luis the first time that you hunted with me that morning that uh, we were going out we were cow calling moving through we're looking uh-huh. we were off to the right that bull's coming in we're down we're locked and loaded and I go to get up we all go to get up and a bull is 10 yards from me. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Well, so yeah, and that's the him. one that you had the shot that you we got on our knees and the we had a bush right in front of me and that bull came from the other side. That raghorn, that absolutely. Shot. And yeah, that yeah, bull yeah. came in silently. We are yeah. looking down to our right. It's so funny. We've had so many. Uh, we've had so many. <laughs> yeah, opportunities, occurrences. Yeah, I, I blend them up. But yeah. We, yeah, what happened that day though is we thought we had spooked them. 
we spooked the group because we were walking in silently. We heard the, the thumps on the ground. And, and as we got closer, we thought we spooked them and you tried calling them back. And then turns out that there was another one that was coming in from the other side that we weren't behind looking us. at. Yeah, Dude, behind that, us. That yeah. came in 10 yards to me. We're looking down to our, <laughs> our right. He comes right off my left shoulder and is literally standing 10 yards from me when I stand up. Yeah. Never heard him, man. And, and they can say because Joe's deaf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But these boys didn't hear it either. No, we didn't yeah. either. And, and no. you figure a big animal like that, you'd see some movement. They are so well camouflaged. And uh, a lot of times those that buck brush and uh, the oak brush and those dang jack pines. You know, those jack pines are dark, just like their bottom of their legs. And they blend in so good. I'm, I, I mean, it's amazing how well you, how close you can be and never know they're there. Uh, the infamous R.C. Knox called me a bull in one time, way up top on a big ridge in some black timber. And we chased that bull up there. I begged him one last time because, look, I knew we were coming down, right? And I knew that we were going to have to go back up. So I really didn't want to do that. I just wanted to stay up. And I said, I begged him one more time. Come on, R.C., call one more time. So he did, and that bull erupted, right? I mean, just went ballistic. He goes, well, by God, he's still up here, you know? So he said, well, let's set up. So we sat up, and, you know, he'd get the cow calling, and I could see the bull's horns coming through the through the aspens. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this bull's on a, on a rope. I mean, on a rope. He gets to some jack pines, and it's like, Bull shuts up. Nobody's talking. RC has shut up. RC is right next to me on my right-hand side. Bull's supposed to walk to the left and walk out at like 12 yards, and I'm fixing to let it rip, right? Ain't no bull. No bull for five minutes. No no talking. And RC has shut up because the bull is – I mean, he sounds like he's in our lap the last time he, he bugled, right? I don't hear any clunking around. I don't hear anything. So – I'm going to tell you, curiosity killed the cat. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't, I didn't move. I didn't want to move. I just stood there looking. He, and he's motioning at me. You see that boy? I'm like, I don't see. I'm trying to look through all the burn a hole through it. You know, I cannot see that bull. RC steps out to the right of those jack pines and that bull's looking at him like bullwinkle. The bull is literally seven yards in front of RC knock. Bull blows up. I see the horns going away. Clonk, 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 clonk. <laughs> RC, I'm not, have y'all ever seen the nest teeth plunge? RC does that. <laughs> I mean, just a nest teeth back plunge and just gets down. And I'm telling you, he had himself a, a dead gum uh, cuss fest for about five minutes. And look, that guy don't cuss a whole lot, right? But I'm telling you, he was hot, hot. And he said, I knew that bull was there. And by God, we just couldn't wait on him, you know. They will come in and do some of the most crazy things yeah. you've ever seen in your life. And you just scratch your head, you know. There was another opportunity, Joe. The day I was actually tracking the bull, the bull I shot right. mm-hmm. um, towards the end of the day there, um, you guys just came by to you know, give me food and then see where I was yeah. at. And uh, I think, you you know, I that's when I told you guys to continue to hunt. I'll continue to look for this guy. And just right off the bat, you started calling. And all of a sudden, before we knew it, we were in the middle of a herd. It's like 1 I, o'clock, right? It's like 1 yeah. o'clock in the afternoon. And then I was like, uh, and I was like, well, wait a minute. But I've been here all morning, you know, walking around yeah. looking for this bull. 
that I shot. And, you know, before we knew it, we were just in the middle of some of the, some of the craziest action. We had bulls on the left, bulls on the right. Yeah. And cows and a big, big bull. So, um, so two big lessons and, uh, out of this that I want you guys to hear that are listening to this so that you can learn from it. What Luis is talking about is where these animals had showed up, we had already gone through tracking this bull. So when people say that elk smell humans and they just disappear from the area, that is not the case, man. Um, So (laughs) I just want you to know, man, I mean, it's one o'clock in the afternoon. We've gone through the area and we end up calling them and getting them. So when a bull's on a hot cow, he'd give a damn who's around. Yeah, giant bull, giant bull. And then the other thing I would tell you, too, is when we go back to what I was talking about where I had the bull down on the right, stood up, and there was a bull 10 yards from me. As soon as that bull boogered, when I stood up, as soon as he did, I screamed a call, man, pulled back, that bull, and what I'm trying to teach you is it's not done. Just because a bull sees you and they booger, it's not done, man. As soon as that did, I dropped, I pulled back, I screamed a bugle, man. That bull stopped at 18 yards, turned broadside to look at me, and it was over, man. I, I, I doubled him, I two-holed him. He did not go 14 yards and go heel up. I mean, uh, and it all happened just like that. And this bull surprises me, but instead of standing there with my finger up my rear end, man, going, oh, it's all over, I, I scream at him, and that movement, you know, yeah. my movement with the call confused him. Well, was that another bull? You know, so that's just something for you is that mm. just because you think something is over, it's not, all right? Yeah. So um, we kind of we covered that on, on finding the animal's during and before and, and uh, you know during the hunt don't forget this man don't forget that while you're out during the hunt and it, to use your eyes ears and your nose man um you know look at the ground look for track look for sign and if you're not finding it keep moving till you do find some it's okay to keep moving and throwing calls out there but you got to look where you're at and pay attention to your environment and if you're not finding them in an area then you get back on your map and you go okay so if they're not here where would they be right mm-hmm. and you look for that trifecta and you go to that area okay yeah, so and, and again man you got to use the wind guys i don't care how good a caller you are if you don't got if you are not going into the wind and using your wind they just not going to be there when you get there absolutely man mm-hmm. so we're going to save calling the the calling part concerns and mm-hmm. knowledge of the hunting area we'll do that in the next one if we have to go three we will um sure. it just depends on how we do next time with it okay awesome. and uh, we're going to drop down to the elk stocking tips and and just talk about this just a little bit and it's so funny because like i said uh thanks to our pilot Derek amp um it just reminds you of stuff that you take for granted man and you know if you've if you've these guys that have been with me, like any time that I am below a rise and I am coming up, and whether I think there's something on the other side or I don't, anytime I'm moving through, as I'm coming to a rise in any part of the terrain, in trees, on a ridge, anything, as I'm getting to that rise, they'll see me stoop down so that I keep my head 
below that rise from what's, I don't know, 20 yards, 30 yards on the other side. And I'll keep myself stooped down, and then I'll get to a point, and what I do is I periscope up. I slowly just rise myself up just a little bit, and so that I can get eye level above and see and really scan what's in front of me. And if, I, and if there's still more of a rise, I drop down and I move forward again and I stay below that next one and I just periscope up. And especially if we've got animals in an area in front of us and we're trying to move in on those animals and we're not sure exactly where they were and we know they're in the area, I'm periscoping all the time. The worst thing you can do is skyline yourself. Yep. You did that, Joe, um, as we were coming up that big hill right before we got to the perfume park. That's yeah. the that's yeah. that, that time where Manano had a, had that bowl super close to him as we were approaching that little park. Right. That's exactly what you did. I remember that. But we did happen as we were approaching, we did happen to listen uh, to some some what we thought was cow calls but actually those those were raghorns firing off mewing and, and then mewing yeah, up there. yeah yeah and then um yeah that's that's where we had created that opportunity basically for for monano and and what i want uh as we were going up so guys in this situation we're actually moving up a steep side of a ridge we're going up on a game trail that has fresh track on it and I mean, that's telling me immediately as we're coming up and I know we're coming to an area that's leveling off onto a bench in the trees. Mm -hmm. I most definitely, those animals have a chance of being bedded up there or feeding up there. So as I'm moving up, I want to go ahead and, and really periscope up. And, you know, that's like when we go back to finding elk back there, you know, I love being in those upper bedding areas and those upper thirds moving through nice and slow because that's areas that they're spending most of their day. That's an area that if I cover, I'm most likely to find sign of elk up in there. So that's something else that we do. So that's something to remember. Don't skyline yourself. Just don't come over a rise because, man, you're liable to spook things up that are especially these animals love to bed on a bench, man. They love to do it. Um, the other thing is a lot of times we will be moving in on animals. Me and Chab do this all the time. We've done it with three people. I've done it with four people where we're moving in on some animals that are feeding off in the direction. And I need to get across a little bit of a clearing. So I try to use what brush is there. But if there's two of us, if there's three of us, and we walk side to side like this, now we become a lot of movement like this. So what we do is we take those four people and we turn it this way. I tell everybody to keep my body just like they would a tree between them and the animal. I don't want them to see the animal. I'm the one on when, the front. And for those listening, this this way is like kind of a, like an Indian um, other. group moving together one behind the other. One <laughs> behind the other. Right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we call it a train. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so kind of an I, Indian line, <laughs> and and I tell the guys behind me, I don't want you peeking to see the animal, man. That's my job on the front. I'll handle that. Mm -hmm. Your job is stay right in line. Let's get to where we need to, and then we'll figure out from there. So when you're doing multiples on approach, you just do that that train. You just line everybody up. A little bit of Indian relay there. Okay. To the same skylining point, I think also good practice is I do this with the hogs, but is 
you know, if you got an opening behind you, obviously, as you're moving closer, you stick out like a sore thumb. So try to get to where you got brushes or trees or something behind you where that backdrop will just kind of cover your silhouette a little bit, too. Yeah. Be mindful of what's behind you as well. Yeah. And on the skyline, and you guys that love to use a decoy, you'll make sure the sun ain't at your back and it shines through the decoy. <laughs> One must Not that it's ever it happened to us. That's a real, that's a real problem. <laughs> oh, we got this bull coming in for Chav, man. And I mean, he is on a rope and he is coming. We've called him from a long way off, too. We put on a show, man. I'm telling you, I was proud that morning. I was like, we're going to get it done. Joe and I can get it done. He's got old Dixie. Old Dixie Montana up there, man. She's wiggling the ear and everything, man. He's Caesar, and here he comes. And then all of a sudden, the gift from the gods of the big sunlight right behind that. Deep, deep it was place. a morning sunrise. It was it directly was. behind me. That's right, directly behind <laughs> and, me. And that doggone bull come up there, and he stopped, and he just looked and did one of those – you know, the head side to side, kind of like, what the heck, man? What is that, man? And, and I was trying to figure out, what the heck spooked him, man? And then, then I looked at my shadow, man. I'm just behind the decoy, and I'm perfectly silhouetted through that right decoy. Right in man. the decoy, man. Oh, my goodness. Uh, he was like, I ain't having that, man. I, I'm, I'm dumb, but I ain't that dumb, man. <laughs> so yeah, the Joe, other thing- Joe just shook his head, and we come walking up. I'm like, what in the world is going on? He goes, Oh, look at this. He opens it up and he's looking. It's like looking at an x ray machine. You know? It sure was, man. <laughs> I was like, wow, that was too cool. The other thing when you're stalking, guy, here's a tip too is when you're, when you're trying to decide when to move on an animal, the best time to move on an animal is number one, when they're moving because things are moving around them. Number two is if they're down feeding, okay? Down. Yeah, head down, especially get in that grass and, and, don't be too timid about it. Make the ground up, man. Make it up. Uh, their head comes up again, like Luis said, try to have some kind of backdrop because their head comes up, they'll look right through you, right? And watch the ears on an elk. When, when you see those, they, they have these ears that are doing like this. If they put a head up and they do this like, like this at you, they, they just heard you, man, and you're, you're liable to be in trouble. But they start to feed, and then they start doing this like this with an ear. You know, where it's it's not paying attention your direction and you start to see those ears so, relax. So instead of attentive ears pointing forward right. to where they're looking, kind of moving relaxed and, ears flopping well, around. You'll see one that'll kind of relax down, down and one that'll turn and cup in a up. different direction, you know, or they'll come up and they'll they'll cup in a direction in front of you. You know it's not you that they're worried about. They might right. have heard or seen something else. But if they start flipping them ears back like this, or they, they give, what's that look like? How do they do that little? Oh, yeah, where they fake like they're going to go eat. Yeah, yeah and they, their head comes right up. Ah. Uh, they're waiting for you to get you to move. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially you're standing wow. there, they'll kind of act like, you know. And That's they'll pretty look, cool. I've never seen them do that. That's really? pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, why or they'll go down and they'll cup their ears right at you, man. Yeah, deer will do that too. Ah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So that's just something for you guys to look out for when, when you're stalking those critters, man. Okay. So uh, we're going to go ahead and continue this with a part two next time. If it goes into part three, it goes into it. Uh, We hope you got a lot of content and information tonight. Uh, Sure. Enjoyed giving you this stuff and, and really guys appreciate 
all the questions that are becoming in that lets us know what it is you guys are needing at this time. Yeah, it's been fantastic. I, you know, the we kind of put the content out there and then you guys come back with it. It's been an outcry of what you guys have needed and wanted. And like we said in the start of the show, man, everybody's got their tags. Everybody's excited. You know, we're, hopefully people are, are doing their practice and putting the time in on their feet and uh, getting their gear ready and everything else. So it's a great time to be getting yourself ready and it won't be long, man. We'll be in the, in the woods for real, you know, uh, if you guys like what we're doing here, please rate and review us, subscribe, rate and review us. You have to go to Apple podcast or iTunes to review us and you can check more elk hunting content out at elkbros.com. And, uh, if you'd like to have a question answered on our show, just send us a question to I N F O that's I N F O at elkbros.com. That's info at elkbros.com. Another fantastic show, Joe. Had a great time, Cab, guys. So yeah. great to see you up and rolling, brother. Yeah. Good That's to see a you guys. really cool deal. We're going to be praying for the baby uh, that everything, we got 10 fingers and 10 toes. It's all <laughs> going to be good, Joe. Hey, first I don't grand, mind 11 first granddaughter. Toes, Is that first, first granddaughter? First grandchild, man. Wow. Yeah. So it's an exciting cool. time. Yeah. People, I tell you what, just love your neighbor. You know, like I've told you, you know, we're kind of getting better to where we can. Uh, limit this social distancing a little bit. So, you know, wives kiss your husband, husbands kiss your wives. Y'all hug your babies and keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Coming. Yeah. Peace, peace, everybody. Thanks.